Our topic today, out of Habakkuk, chapter 1, How Long, O Lord? Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. It doesn't say the vision that the prophet Habakkuk saw, but the burden that he saw. And so God showed him some heavy stuff that weighed him down, and we'll see that in his three-chapter book. We'll see chapter one uh, today. And it is a pretty heavy message that God gives to him and, and what he is experiencing and seeing. And he is burdened by it, and uh, we should be burdened as well with what is going on in the world as was Habakkuk saw. An interesting thing is just this week, uh, they've been doing, well, not just this week, they've been doing excavations for quite some time at this, this town, uh, Hobok, I think it's pronounced. Uh, it, that's its ancient name. Its modern name is in Israel, and I forget what that is. Um, but it, it's, it, its original name is named, tradition believes, uh, is that Habakkuk was buried near the site. It's up in Galilee, and uh, they've been doing excavations there for quite some time. But just this week, uh, they uncovered a whole other aspect of, this, of the synagogue floor, which has an amazing mosaic on it. Uh, in years past, they found uh, a picture of Samson, and they picture, found um, uh, or a mosaic of, uh, of, I forget what was in the past, but just this week they revealed uh, a portion of the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea, and Egyptian soldiers... Um, with the horses next to them, upside down, obviously drowning in the water, and big fish all around them, and, 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 uh, and another depiction of Noah's Ark and the animals going in two by two. And so uh, just really big and beautiful. They say there's nothing else like it in the world that has this many uh, Bible stories in this mosaic uh, on, their, on, the, on the floor of the, of the synagogue. So they're pretty excited about that. So again, the, the original town name is believed to be after Habakkuk himself, because, again, tradition has that he was buried nearby there up in the Galilee region. Habakkuk lived, Habakkuk doesn't tell us exactly when he lives. Again, his intro is just, it's the burden that he received. Uh, but uh, some of them tell us which kings they were prophesying during. He doesn't, uh, but some believe he was during the time of Manasseh. And we see that on our chart here. Uh, Manasseh reigned for 55 years, I believe. And a wicked time, and no doubt Habakkuk saw a lot of wicked stuff during Manasseh's time. It's after Israel has already been taken captive. Okay, so verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Very apropos for the day we're living in as well. <clears throat> And that's his burden. He's crying and crying and praying. Lord, there's violence going on all around us. Trouble in the land. Problems in the land. And he's burdened with this. All right, so he cries out, How long shall I cry and you will not hear? And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've gone through some trial in your life. Maybe you're seeing violence. Maybe some violence is being done against you. Maybe physical, maybe verbal, maybe situational. Someone's trying to get you fired. Someone's trying to get you evicted. Someone's trying to cause trouble in your life. Someone uh, made some kind of a sale deal with you and went sour and they're trying to take advantage of you. 
and you're crying out to the Lord because of the violence that's being done to you or to someone you know, a loved one, or just in general in the world around you. And you have this burden that God has placed this burden on your heart and you're crying and it doesn't seem like God hears. And you're crying out, oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. And again, if he's living during Manasseh's time and Manasseh reigns for 55 years, most of it very wicked time, doing lots of violence, as we read when we read about Manasseh, that he shed much Innocent blood. So wrongs taking place and the king perpetuating it and the king doing it. Bringing in all kinds of idol worship and no doubt the idol worshippers were empowered by the king to taunt those who were following God and participating in the violence against those who were following God. And Habakkuk's crying and crying out to the Lord. And year after year, again, maybe 50 years, nothing taking place, no change taking place. I don't think for most of us, we had violence against us individually for 50 years or more. We've been very fortunate in the country that we've lived in, live in, for the peace and prosperity we've had in this country for as long as we've had it. But I think signs are showing that, and Bible's prophesying that it's not going to remain that way. And so we may have it come a time where we are all praying and crying out to the Lord to do something to stop the violence and the craziness that's going on. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me, there is strife and contention arises. And so Habakkuk is seeing it, he's seeing it physically with his own eyes. God very well can be showing it to him in vision. He said the burden that he's prophesying, that he has shown. And so God is showing him even beyond what he is seeing right around him. And his heart is breaking in that way. And that's one of the signs of a, a prophet of God. That's a sign of a, of a person who has the heart of God. Who loves God, who has been transformed, who's been changed by God's mighty power. Is how do we feel about the violence that we see around us? Especially the violence that's not affecting us directly yet. Oh, you know, some other part of the world. How do we feel? Are we burdened with the suffering that is going on in the world around us? I was listening to the news on the radio as I was driving, and I was passing a golf course, and they were talking about, uh, I think, uh, the child hostages that ISIS has and, and, and uh, sex slaves. And as I'm driving past, I see these people, and they're golfing. And I just thought, you know, they're just like, as if I would be if I was out there that day, you know, oblivious to what's going on in the world around us. You know, we're just having a good time hitting this ball around. And there are people who are suffering tremendously, continually, all around us. Or the 10,000 
people who starved to death in the last 24 hours. And the 10,000 people who will starve to death in the next 24 hours. And continually, all year long. Habakkuk's seeing this, and he's crying out, God, why aren't you doing something? And maybe at this point he's forgotten that God never goes to sleep even. That God can't shut off the radio. God can't shut the channel. God doesn't look at just one section at a time, but God is seeing the whole world and all the suffering. God is not just hearing Habakkuk's crying. He's hearing the crying of every heartbroken soul throughout the world at one time. And continually, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God's heart must be breaking. And when we have God's heart, our heart will break as well. Therefore, the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. So there are laws in the land, but the law is powerless. When the king and the justice system is not enforcing the laws, the justice never goes forth. The wicked continue and they get away with it. The wicked are surrounding the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. They come forth with their perverse judgments, the court systems. And if you think we're there, we haven't seen anything yet. There are many countries in the world today still. But down through the ages, Israel under Roman rule, I mean, you know, places where the police or the military or those who are supposed to be protecting you are getting their salary based on what they're able to steal from you. That's a conflict of interest. So we haven't seen anything yet. But just this week, in California, a, a website, christiandating.com or christianmarriage.com or something like that, a Christian dating site, was sued by two homosexuals and said that on their site there's no option for a man looking for a man or a woman looking for a woman. And they won the case. Well, I think it was settled out of court. But part of the agreement was that these two guys are getting paid their court fees and I forget how many tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And what closed it was now the website on its homepage offers a place, a button where you can click for a man looking for a man, for a woman looking for a woman. Christian dating website. It's for Christians. I don't think it has a button for a Jew looking for a Jew. <laughs> or a Muslim looking for a Muslim. Or a Buddhist looking for a Buddhist. 
or an atheist looking for an atheist, it's a Christian dating website. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I mean, is, is, is um, a fabric store prejudice against contractors and carpenters because they don't sell hammers? Are, are, are fabric stores going to have to start selling hammers so they're not prejudice against carpenters? Or are they a fabric store? Now, there were some other um, sites involved in the lawsuit as well that settled as well. Uh, one is uh, J, J Date, a Jewish site that also now has to do that or is doing that. Uh, Aventus Singles is another one, and Black something, which is obviously for black people looking for other black people. <laughs> Are they, you know, prejudice against white people because it's a black dating website? I saw a commercial uh, this week, this past week, uh, for uh, Farmers Only or some FarmersOnly.com. So I thought, oh, they must sell tools and, and, you know, yard equipment and stuff like that, yard, you know, seeds and all kinds of things. That might be interesting. So I go there, and it was a farmer dating site. <laughs> it's just for farmers to get farmers. They don't want any city slickers <laughs> in their bloodline or whatever. It's just for farmers to find other farmers. You know, so are they prejudiced against city people? They're going to now have to have a button there for city people to be able to find city people on the FarmersOnly.com website. I guess if some city person sues them, they might have to. But the attack is on Bible believers. That's where the attack is. The lawsuit didn't mention any Muslim dating sites. They haven't gone there with their lawsuits. They haven't asked any Muslim bakers if they'll bake their wedding cakes. The attack is on Bible believers. And that's where the attack is. And so perverse judgments are proceeding. And again, we're just not even the tip of the iceberg. We're seeing the iceberg still a way off. But it's coming. It's coming. And we won't believe, because we can't even imagine. After the soft, cushy, life that we've lived through for 200 or so years in this country because we have a constitution. Because we have a separation of powers. Because we have freedom of speech. Because we have religious liberty. But things are changing and going to change. And the pendulum will swing from side to side. In history, we've had religious oppression, oppression coming from religious groups. That's one of the reasons the United States was set up with the Constitution, to avoid that from happening. This pendulum switched swinging in the other direction. And I believe it'll swing back, and oppression will take place again from all sides. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. 
you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? So Habakkuk's pleading with God and crying out to God with tears and a burdened heart for what he is seeing going on around him. Verse 5, God responds, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and nasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. This is interesting. Chaldeans, the Babylonians. God is saying, look at the nations around. I will work a work in your days. I am raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. And they're going to come through and punish all the nations. God is prophesying to Habakkuk here. Another reason why the timing of Manasseh's time seems to sit well with where this book was written and when it was written. He's prophesying that God is going to use a pagan nation to discipline God's people, or God's professed nation, I should put it that way, at the time. At Judah, that wasn't following because of Manasseh, idol worship, God is going to use the Babylonians to get their attention. And he does, and we go to captivity for 70 years after the destruction of Jerusalem and all that happened. And the siege and all the troubles in the land, taking the Babylon for 70 years for us to learn the lesson, and then God allows us to come back. In that article about that website that I was just talking about, I scrolled down to see comments by people. And obviously not everybody who was commenting was a, was a believer. One person wrote in, so what's God going to do? You know, is he going to punish the world? And someone else replied into him, uh, God has his timing and his way. <laughs> And God does have his timing. God doesn't just react and an evil happened and then he boom, he just, you know, sends lightning and bolt and, and, and destroys that person or whatever. God has his timing, waits his timing, and has his way of dealing with things. He's very long-suffering, giving even the wicked opportunity to repent, as he did with Manasseh, who eventually did repent. So God's been very long-suffering with this country, and as this country is slipping and slipping further and further from its moral values, and not so much the country as far as the leadership, although that as well, but the people, the professed believers, have slipped so far and are continuing to slip more and more. 48%, another thing I heard just about two weeks ago, 48% of professed Bible believers have no problem with their children being in a uh, 
uh, an adulterous, uh, fornicative relationship. It's the day we're living in. And that's why the leadership is the way it is. Because the people are allowing it. And the people have sold out on it. So what will God use to get this country's attention? It could be like, here, the Chaldeans. I will raise up the Chaldeans, a bitter and nasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Verse 7, they are terrible and dreadful, the Chaldeans. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from them. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. This is the nation that God says he used. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. transgresses. He commits offenses, ascribing his power to his God. So then the Chaldeans go over the red line. (laughs) And instead of giving God the glory for allowing them, empowering them to come and take over God's nation, God says, then they give the glory to their own gods and they transgress as well. And then God did, as we know historically, he allowed the Medo-Persians to come and put an end to them and, and so on and so on. Verse 12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment, O rock. You have marked them for correction. So after God explains, don't worry, I have heard your cry. I've heard the cry of the people. I have seen the violence. I will deal with it in my timing and in my way. Even they use the Chaldeans, if necessary. Those who are committing violence will get their day. And he says, you're everlasting God. You are my God. My Holy One. We will not die. Now, of course, Habakkuk did die. But we have the promise of everlasting life. And then he goes, oh, Lord, you appointed for them. This is very interesting. This is the Hebrew poetry here. She says, oh, Lord, twice. And then another description of God, my Holy One, or O Rock. You appointed for them judgment. Are you not from everlasting? And then after the O Lord my God and O Rock, you have marked them for correction. We shall not die. And so a statement about God's power, a acknowledgement of who he is, my Holy One, the Lord God, the Rock, And then the promise. We will not die. You have marked them for correction. Judgment will come. Judgment will come. Judgment will come upon this earth. 
Our job is to remain faithful to the Lord and keep our eyes on Him. And not worry about the wicked, but instead of worrying about them and complaining about them, praying and interceding for them. And trusting in the Lord, and even if we die, death is not the end. We've surrendered our lives to the Lord. We've accepted our death already in Him, our death to the carnal nature, our death to the sinfulness that causes violence ourselves, that we are violent, sinful people ourselves in need of God's forgiveness. We are no better than anyone else. We're born as corrupt as anyone else. But as we surrender our lives, accept the Messiah's death in place of ours, we accept our death with Him, we accept the forgiveness of those sins and we surrender the carnal nature and the evil heart and the violent heart and the wicked, selfish, proud mind and surrender that to the Lord and allow it be dead with him. Allow him to fill us with his Holy Spirit that changes us and transforms us, that changes our desires and changes our character and gives us the power to live a holy life, a power to, and a desire to live right and then the power to follow through. And God gives us the assurance of everlasting life. That we will not die. Even if we're martyrs here on this earth, even if we suffer pain and difficulty in this earth, this earth is not the end. I have a wonderful story I just read today. just received this newsletter this week as well. This is written by a friend of ours, Barbara and mine. Uh, she's actually really credited and, and responsible for leading my mother to the Lord, and then me to the Lord. And then uh, she was my boss for six years, a little time after that. And that's where I met Barbara, so she's responsible for me meeting Barbara in a sense. And, uh, and then she was, uh, uh, helped officiate. Uh, she gave some words to Barbara and I during our wedding uh, before the, the, uh, the minister uh, finished officiating our wedding. Uh, her name is Juanita Kretschmar, and she's got to be close to 80 or in her 80s now. But she's still working. She leads a congregation, and she runs a radio ministry uh, that broadcasts um, in the Keys, in Key West area, and all throughout the Keys, and is available through the Internet all over the world. So she writes, A few weeks ago... I found myself around midnight riding in the back of an ambulance through the streets of Miami trying to sense to have a sense of sanity as I lay there staring at the clock on the wall at the end of the ambulance and wondering quietly how on earth I managed to get myself in such a situation. I glanced over at Lynn sitting patiently on a nearby bench dozing or trying to on what felt into my mind, uh, on what felt to me like a, a careening ride in an emergency vehicle carrying us. Suddenly, a question came into my mind. Who are you? I responded inward to the question. I said my name and how I pray for people who call or ask or ask for prayer in some way. Then came a second question that stopped me. Not that I was going anywhere on my own anyway. What are you doing here? What was I doing there? 
riding in the back of an ambulance for the first time in my life, in the middle of the night somewhere in Miami, my thoughts reviewed the previous hours quickly. The day had been a blur since after staff worship. We had knelt for closing prayer at about 10.15 that morning. I recalled that during the prayer, I would started to feel really ill. Strange for me, feeling just awful. I had not arisen from my knees, I couldn't. Lynn gathered her belongings after worship, saw me still on the floor and asked, are you okay? I looked at her and said, honestly, no. No one was used to that kind of answer out of my mouth, but they knew I sometimes stayed longer in prayer, so she let me know before she left my house that I should call her if I needed something. I was in bad shape, unexplainable and indefinable to me. I didn't begin feeling better right away as I expected I would. I crawled up onto the couch and lay down. A sequence of events in the hours followed, including intervention on the phone with pleas for competent, skilled medical caregiver family members who lived in other states, a daughter, a nurse, and a son, a physician, but their loving urging punctuated with the mobilization of Lynn and Brad, who turned into the in-care people they were by nature, refusing to accept my stubborn no answers about going anywhere. Hours later, I lay on the gurney wondering how I could have gotten myself into such a predicament, wasting everyone's time and lots of money. I'd already been to one hospital that was sending me to another where they said facilities were equipped for the surgery their tests had shown that I needed to be done quickly. But the question begged an answer from me. What was I doing there? However, my own answer to the question, the first question about who you are, began clearing up the bewilderment in my mind as to what was I, to what was going on. As I began recalling how, at the beginning of that day, in my personal worship time with the Lord, I had become across a quotation tucked in my Bible referencing what we read all throughout Scripture how God longs for every person to know how much he loves them, longs to have everyone know he wants each to have the place reserved for them in heaven, how anyone and everyone can be in his kingdom if they will choose to accept the invitation. The quotation said something about how he wants us to share that invitation everywhere. Suddenly it hit me. I may have even said the words aloud to God as we neared our Miami destination. So that is what this is all about. You probably have some medical caregivers up in that hospital in Miami whom you want told about how much you love them. You need someone to tell them, don't you? And it's urgent, isn't it? I looked upward. I don't know if I lifted my hand outwardly, but I did inwardly as, if, as I responded. I'm your girl. I want to be the one whom you are looking for. That's why you have me going up there. Someone up here needs to hear of God's love and very personal plan and a, and a very personal plan you have for each of us. Only God knows knew the depth of his father's love and made a huge only the Messiah knew the depths of his father's love and made that huge sacrifice for us. You are so amazing. 
You have such a plan for all of lives. I'm going to pray with them and tell them about your love, your personal plan for them. Yes, I am. I felt almost giddy with excitement. I was on an assignment from God. She's on her back in pain in an ambulance. <laughs> I would need to leave each one with some literature. WHNJ's radio card would be perfect. Brad, who'd driven us to the first hospital, made sure with, uh, with Lynn I had a stack of those WHNJ cards and all the info necessary for them to uh, hear the station and live stream it. My ammunition was ready for each of my target audience of what turned out to be some two dozen persons with whom I got to pray with during the next three days in my hospital room turned chapel. It was such a privilege. God, let me be there. Steve came up and anointed me. Les, Tammy, and Rose Marie visited, and the hospital staff opened up about their prayer burdens as we prayed together. The very last woman, a tech, fell on my neck weeping as she shared the personal abandonment she had just experienced. I showed her Jeremiah 29, 11. She read it. It was like a personal message to her from God. Her shoulders strengthened, straightened. Her eyes that had been filled with tears now glistened with hope. I knew if it had not been for anyone else, for her, I had been sent there. And no, surgery wasn't wise at that time during that pancreatic, pancreatic emergency. I did have a sick gallbladder removed the following month in Tennessee. Uh, God was present through every kind of challenge. I thank you, God, for giving us moments in time to praise and bless your name and to love each other and to share your word. That's the kind of attitude I believe we all need all the time. Whatever situation you're in, whatever emergency you're going through, whatever violence is being done by you, done to you, it's an opportunity for us to tell somebody about God to witness to somebody about God's love for them. And it might be that God is trying to reach the Manasseh in our lives. God might be trying to reach the problem in our lives. But I pray if I'm ever put in, a in an ambulance into <laughs> the hospital, I have an outlook that it's not about me. And I won't be praying, God heal me, God heal me, God heal me. But then I'll be praying, God use me. Actually, she goes on later on in the, in the newsletter where she says that after she responded and said, Lord, use me, I'm, I'm your girl, whatever you got, call for me, the pain left. And they still kept her there for the three days of testing even though the first hospital was assured that she needed the operation right then and sent her rapidly up to the other hospital. God has a mission for each one of us every single day. God has a purpose 
for our lives every single moment. So as we cry out to God, you are from everlasting. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, my Rock, God wants to use us. That's why vengeance is his and we can leave the judgment to him. He will judge and he will have judgment and he will mark them for correction, those that he needs to correct. Our job is to love mercy and to do justly and to walk humbly with our God. To be ready instant in season and out of season to testify of what God has done and is doing in our lives and the plan that God has for those in this world. Like Stephen before the council and then being stoned, he did not fail to testify to those around him. And God used that scene to touch Saul's heart. God wants to use us in touching other people. And Saul was responsible for Stephen's stoning. God might want to use us, our life or our death, in winning someone to the Lord. Life is not about living it here on this earth. Life is about living it for God, for testifying about him to those around us. So as we pray, if you've been discouraged by the violence in the world, if your heart has been burdened from the situations happening right here in this country, Maybe you're tear-struck by something that's going on in your very life. Maybe in someone around you, someone connected with you. Some injustice that's going on and even crying out for days, maybe weeks or however long for God to intervene already and do something with this person. Send them away. Do something to them. And you'd like God to change your heart in prayer to God save them. God, convert them. God, bring them the gift of repentance. And use me, if necessary, in helping to teach them about you. That applies to you when we pray. Ask God to give you his spirit, his grace, and his mind. Maybe God is revealing someone, something to you or someone in, in your mind that he's wanting you to testify to. Maybe someone at your work or someone at your school, someone in your life, some family member, some neighbor that he's calling you, that he's placed you there for a purpose, that that is who you are and that is why you are there. And you want to accept that call and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Maybe God is speaking to you about something else going on in your life. 
Maybe he's revealing to you that you really don't have a burden for the lost. Maybe you really don't have a burden and don't care about violence. As long as it doesn't affect you, you don't care. And you're realizing tonight that that's not God's heart. And you want God's heart and you want God to take away your stony heart and for God to give you his heart. Or maybe there's something else going on in your life that you want to surrender to the Lord and give to him. Let him work in your life. Let him make you the person that he's called you to be and to fulfill the plan that he has for your life. If any of these areas apply to you or something else God's speaking to your heart about, as we pray, draw close to the Lord. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name that you are over the entire earth and the world and the universe, galaxies, you see it all, and you are in control. Nothing goes unnoticed by you. And you have your plan judgment and your plan correction for those that resist you and cause harm to your people. Or give us the ability to wait upon you and to trust in you for the timing and the way. Lord, cleanse us and forgive us if we've caused violence to anyone, if we've caused, well, not if, but for the times we've caused violence and trouble in other people's lives. Forgive us and cleanse us for the hurt and pain that we've caused. And Lord, may each one of us have a mind that's attuned to your will for our lives. Attuned to the needs that we will not be worried about ourselves and our health and our finances and our lives and our situation but that we would be attuned to your calling to minister to those that are all around us in desperate need of your love. Lord, use us to fulfill your calling. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.